You're just not going to get that neural drive. You're not going to activate those motor units. You're not going to get that muscle completely engaged. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear with coaches Skip Hill, Andrew Berry. I'm Scott McNally, and we are joined today by Phil Viz. What's going on, Phil? What's going on, guys? Good to have you, man. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK for additional savings. We're brought to you by supplementsource.ca for our Canadians, Strom Sports Nutrition for those of you in the UK, and, of course, we're brought to you by you guys, the people of Patreon. Thank you very much for supporting our programming. Um, what do we got today? We're going to talk about chest training. What, what did we call this, Andrew? It's like, why does why does my chest suck? Is that the, the title well, we're going no, no, with, right? What? Why does your chest suck, not mine? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, my chest oh, has sucked for a long time. <laughs> well, yeah, what, I think what we wanted to talk about, because we've done this for legs, we've done this for back, where we've really broken down the workouts, work, uh, broken down volume, broken down exercise selection, broken down even uh, training frequency if it happens to be a weak body part. Uh, we haven't done it for chest yet, so I think it'd be a good, um, a good, a good body part to talk about. Everybody loves training chest, and I thought, let's have Phil on. I know Phil is very particular about how he programs his clients' chest training or all their training, and I thought it might be a great um, segment. I thought people would get a lot out of it. So, Hell yeah. With that, I think, with that, I think, you know, Phil, you know, how do you program chest training? What are your philosophies? What are your theories? Like what, how do you like to set it up? Well, first of all, um, it's great that we're talking about a topic like this because what people don't realize is that the majority of people that get into this industry are going to run into body parts that won't grow, weak body parts, tough body parts, things like that. You know, it's not like a lot of the pros are they just, oh, they grow uniformly and hey, we're good. You know, most of us end up with imbalances, weaker body parts, things that we struggle with um, either due to genetics or the way we learn to lift our programming, uh, ego, you know, there's so many things that cause body parts to be weak. And you know what's actually funny? Um, I was having this conversation with Nick Walker today. We were talking about how a lot of the people at like the Olympia level, like the top pro level, they get there and they're really good. But how often do you see one of those guys who's got a really weak body part bring it up? Almost never. But- yeah. And the re- I think the reason is, is because they're so used to relying on their genetics that they don't know what actually grows a struggling muscle. They're used to curling beer cans and having 21-inch arms. You know, I would never take yeah. Phil Heath's arm advice, you know. He had bigger arms than me when he played college basketball. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like it, it, it's useless to take advice from those people. So the problem is when you're kind of blessed with genetics, you know, and – I see them do this a lot too. A lot of the pros, like they'll, they'll give advice or they'll coach, they'll program. And it's, it's, it's always the same trend. They are under the impression that it's so fucking easy because it was easy for them. Yeah. And they usually struggle for a long time to get results with people because they have to come to the realization that, okay, maybe I did have it a little easier. You know, my genetics are awesome. Or maybe that person just trains really hard and other people don't. And, and then they come to this realization that, okay, what, what I did is not going to work for everybody else, you know? And I think that's something that a lot of younger coaches go through. You know, um, I know I did. Um, a lot of people that I know tend to go through the phases where whatever you're doing currently as a bodybuilder, you think is the best thing. So you want everybody to do it, you know? It's so true. And it's actually, so true. I think we can all agree on that. You've got to mature and get past that stage where you're like that. People will say, oh, are you a high-carb coach? I'm a, I'm a nothing coach. I do what your body yeah. says, and that's it. 
I'll go keto, high carb, low carb, high fat, low fat, high protein, low protein. I will do anything based on what your body tells me it needs. And I've gotten pretty good at using all methods, you know, so I don't have like a way that I coach. Um, and I think that it takes some time for people to get through that phase where they realize, okay, what I did is not the best for everyone else. And then when you start realizing everybody's in Go ahead. I cut you off. I thought I got in there. No, I I cut you off. I tried to get in there. Go ahead, Andrew. Well, I think we were going to say the same thing. I've already said something. You say something, Skip. Well, here's where I was going. I think the vast majority of people overtrain their chest. Convince me I'm wrong. No, you're right. I just think it's, it's that body part where people train... I always tell people when they say their legs aren't growing, like, do you train your legs like you train chest? Because if there's a muscle group that you're going to train to failure and you're going to do too much volume and too much frequency, it, it, arms are up there too. Don't get me wrong. But chest is there. You're, you're, if you're training, if you're squatting and leg pressing and hack squatting and to the point where you're going to failure and someone has given you a four strap. Okay, cool. But that doesn't usually happen yet. The vast majority of people, you just walk into a gym and you'll see, you see guys 140 pounds and they're training and they're doing four straps on the bench. They're not doing it on, on much of anything else, but they're doing. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of times too, there's a, a limiting component of you're not recovering because you're essentially constantly overtraining that muscle group. There's, there's a other ton of other shit in there. Stuff in there, like uh, then you get into shoulder problems and in front delt movement. Then you have mechanics and everything else. But I think that that's a pretty. I see it a lot. That was my issue was the shoulder stuff. So I was the guy. You guys all have seen this guy. He got on stage the first time, stands out there and just boom wide because he's got the shoulders and then no chest. I every initially with my technique. Everything I did just went to the shoulders. And then, of course, as those shoulders got stronger, it just took more away from actually developing the pecs. And that that happened for like the first the first couple of years, even into competing. I actually I actually ran into that same problem throughout my entire career. And the judges started telling me, don't open up as wide as you can open up like you have more than enough width to still be wider than everybody on stage, because what Mm -hmm. happens is. I ended up having a really good chest, but my scap, I just, I guess it's genetic. My scap has a really, really strong ability like to open, like I can open you up do. a mile where I start. And yeah. what happens is you can literally watch my chest get flatter and flatter oh. and flatter until it disappears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that. that's an issue with um, opening up guys somewhere. that are on the taller side. I was going to say, I think that's an issue with guys like myself that are on the taller side anyway, because we're, we have such wide clavicles and we can open our scapula, up. especially if you're a longer limbed individual. Whenever you open up, your chest just flattens out anyway. But um, I think if you are, if you're just, can you put it this way, you're never going to see a 212 guy where you're like, oh, he's got a really weak chest when he gets in his front relax. It's, it's mm-hmm. rare that you can see that because they just can't spread well, it out the same way. The more narrow guys always the have the better chests. You know, you, we see yeah. that across the board because the muscles bunched up more and, you know, it pops right. out more. You know, when you're wider, you have a lot more area to fill out. You know, this is the same premise right. as like a long bicep or a long quad sweep. The, the smaller, shorter muscle bellies are always going to be rounder and fuller looking. You know, people gave Phil Heath, you know, shit for being narrow, but everything was popping like off his body, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'll take that. I I saw him once. Yeah. His chest was like 
10 inches off his fucking sternum. <laughs> you know? No. It was like ridiculous. So You touched you know, on so ego when, earlier when you were, when, uh, and I think with chest training, that that's a pretty predictable issue because ego. most guys want to put up big numbers. And when you put up big numbers, typically you give up correct mechanics yes. to do that, especially with the, the compound movements like the bench and the incline bench. I would even, and, and I don't want to get too complicated and throw too many questions at you at once, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are too on the traditional incline bench press, whether it's, it means to you or has the significance or the importance that it did when you started, because I honestly, I'm to the point where I think they could take every 45 degree incline bench in the gym and they could just recycle them and turn them into something else. I, 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 I agree. And I'm not trying to set up your answer because we, we obviously we could disagree on that, but I'm to the point where I think that the old school inclines are number one, too steep. There's too much delt activity and it's incredibly difficult to get your scapula back into the position, that they, especially if you're wider, quite frankly, I think narrow, so like me. Foot. Sure. Absolutely. Someone who's narrow like me. I mean, I have, I have clavicles that are as wide as the Ken doll. It, they're just not there. So for me to be able to get, I can get into my, I mean, p- people laugh because I get a peak contraction on an inclined fly where someone who's wider isn't going to be able to do that. But I can squeeze the shit out of it. It feels like a cable cross. Hmm. <laughs> That's how narrow yeah. I am. I get it. But um, like with what you said about ego, that was going to be my first go-to. Usually it's ego and intensity. But intensity is kind of something that blankets across the board with most of the people that I get. Usually when somebody can't grow, and this is why I started monitoring training with clients and making them send me videos, even though it's 10 times the amount of work, because I realized that was the main factor that was keeping everybody from growing is their ability to train hard. So now I tell everybody, go to the gym, find the biggest guy, ask him to jump in a couple workouts, tell him to put you through a guy that trains his ass off because you've got to be shown that there's another level. You know, you're not going to just go in the gym one day and go, oh, well, I'm going to train harder. What does what that That's really mean? good advice, you know, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to touch on that. That's yeah. really good advice. And as a coach, because a lot of times when we're programming for people, we don't necessarily like someone else to to give their two cents on what we're doing and, and how we're programming. But I think that's actually, hey, I don't care what I wrote down for the workout. Go find the guy that trains like a badass and go through a leg day with him. Go do a, go through a back day. Go through a chest yeah. day with him. Let him break you apart so you get out of the gym knowing, okay, that's what training hard feels like. I think that's actually the, probably the best advice you give anybody, any client. The first, thing, the first thing that I do is I see if I have another client in the area. If I have another client yeah, in the good. area, I link the clients up. If I don't, I send them to the gym with a homework assignment to find the big guy who trains his ass off and jump in. And 105% of the time they come back going, hold <laughs> that guy kicked my ass. And I'm like, well, that's, you know, you, you got to learn. You know, a lot of times people that aren't training hard, it's not their fault. They don't know that that level's there. It's the same premise as, you know, the first time a human being ran a 10 second, 100 meter, I think it was. You know, once one person did it, but much because now, now you knew it was possible, you yeah. know? And I think that a lot of people don't know where that roof is as far as intensity, and they've got to be shown. I want to touch on that. I want to touch on that because I feel like growing up in our, like when all of us are, are old enough that we grew up in ages where like you train balls out, like in the gym, if you were a bodybuilder, you train balls out. And I think the problem is today we have a little bit of too much conflicting information with some other coaches and we'll call them educators because they're not really bodybuilders from what I've seen. They're educators and they're showing perfect form, 
but it's form lacking intensity. And I, mm. I think we can all yeah. think of a few that have like websites and have uh, apps and they have, and it's like, oh, I'm learning from this guy. It's like, well, okay, yeah, technically that's great, but you're lacking the intensity that's going to help drive you into that next weight class, drive you into that next muscular phase. That, that actually drives me nuts because um, I actually, there's a couple guys that are mad at me right now online. Because they're the guys that teach that stuff. Well, I'm surprised stuff. to hear that, Phil. That's bizarre. Carry <laughs> <laughs> on. There's a first for everything. Well, they're the guys that teach a lot of the biomechanics. And don't get me wrong. Biomechanics lessons are phenomenal. You know, if you have somebody like Joe Bennett teaching it who trains his ass off and represents what he does and never loses sight of the intensity lesson. He makes it very clear no matter what I show you. If you don't do this hard, it's not going to work. And a lot of the other guys were just focused on such type form that I started getting clients when they were sending me these videos and they're doing this diagonal row, trying to hit their low lat and squeezing. And I'm like, well, what's the main back exercise you're doing? So they send me these videos and everything is like a snail pace squeeze, no explosion, yeah. no intensity, no. And I had to literally revamp everything in their head. Yeah, and it's because would you say there's a happy medium between the two? Absolutely, and I think that I think that right. the people that are getting too caught up in the biomechanics lesson is they think that that makes up for the lack of intensity, and and so they don't have to do how mm. hard stuff really should right. be. You know, they don't have to suffer as much. They don't have to work as hard because I'll just do this perfect. No, it doesn't work that way. And on the flip yeah. side, if you try to keep your form too perfect. Um, and I've actually been talking about this online, so this is a great topic. If you try to keep your form too perfect, you're not going to be able to get the amount of intensity out that you need to get. Um, and one thing that everybody is missing, a lot of people are missing, is called the stretch shortening cycle. Your stretch shortening cycle is a reflex um, whenever you reverse the motion of any movement. Um, Andrew, you would know, I actually had this conversation with, with John about uh, programming for football players. And he said that the stretch shortening cycle or that reflex action is the most important thing for athletes. Especially so if you're an offensive you, lineman. You're, I was going to say, if you're an offensive yeah, lineman, so, first, get, get, your, get your hands off my body. Get your hands off my body. And you know what? We have evidence right in front of our faces. When you're bringing the weight down, if I make you pause for a full two count and then press – you're definitely not as strong as if I let you come down and do a little micro bounce out of the bottom. Now, that's for a number of reasons. One is tendon and ligament elasticity that are basically robbing your muscle of pure fibril contractions so that they help a little bit. You know, we and we see evidence of that on standing calf raises, for example. If I tell you to pause at the bottom with the stack and then come up, how many reps are you going to get? Probably none. If I let you start bouncing, you do 50. And that's all being generated by the elasticity of your Achilles tendon, uh, which is the strongest tendon in the body. So a lot of times when people are, are doing these lessons, they're, they're, they're pausing, they're going slow. First of all, I mean, I know you guys have heard me say a million times, force equals mass times acceleration. Force is the tension that we're putting on the muscle. So you want to take that mass and accelerate it as fast as possible to get force. Now, this doesn't mean drop the bar and bounce out of the bottom. It means just a little jerk, and that's perfectly fine. We even saw Jay Cutler doing this the way he used to do his lat pulldowns. What did he do? A double pump, right? He would come up to the top, and then he'd pump, and then he'd drive it down, yeah. get a little bit of that reflex action, and people are not doing that, and I think that they're losing that with all of these biomechanics lessons. They're just trying to, like, 
full pause at the bottom, not use an ounce of momentum and, 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 and not break form and all this other bullshit, you know, and, and it's really holding them back. I don't know. What do you guys think? Let me throw this, let me throw this at you. Um, and cause I agree for, for what it's worth, but let me play the other side. Cause I'm really good at the devil's advocate thing. Now let's like just that. say we have someone and this may be a lot of people who need to tighten up their form. So instead of slowly pulling it back to find that happy medium, you pull it back completely, slow it down with those real good, solid, 100% solid mechanics that are arguably too slow, and then build back in. It's almost like you're taking the pendulum from one extreme to the other and then it allowing is. them to come into the middle and find that happy medium. I think in that case, real strong focus on ridiculously uh, executed reps in a slow fashion, that then can be beneficial if you're going to come out of that to find the happy medium. That's where I've tried to go, Skip. That's what I've tried to do yeah. with people that are kind of out of control. And I almost feel like if I look at bodybuilding, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I remember it was the opposite. Like everybody in the gym was doing what Branch Warren did. And I, yeah. I'm thinking to myself that if if you can say, say a new guy, he starts out making sure I'm activating the lat and it might not be ideal. But hey, if you start there and then you work into the intensity after that. I feel like that is a, for me, at least in my older age, I feel like you're starting from a safer place versus like completely ballistic and then dialing back. You know what I mean? No, no, listen, I, I like that. But on the same note, what you have, we have to consider is the, is motor unit recruitment patterns being recorded by the body, training our body to perform certain tasks, just like throwing a baseball, swinging a bat and whatnot. So if you start to train yourself to be that way, then you have to untrain that in order to adapt into the other one. So what I tell them to try to do is, well, one, the, the biomechanics lessons I love because you should know how a muscle functions. Yes. That's important. Yeah. You know, a lot of times we have, we don't understand how a muscle functions. Like Skip said, throw out the 45 degree inclines. If we look at the, if we look at the direction of the fibers on our, on our, or this way, on our upper chest, it's a very minimal diagonal. It's not 45 degrees. Right. So only need a little bit of an incline to completely hit your upper chest, mm -hmm. you know? And you can even do it on a flat technically, as long as your elbows right. start low and sure. high. So if you mm -hmm. sit a little lower where the incline is across your upper chest, all you have to do is drop your elbows a little bit and then press up. And there you go. Mm -hmm. So, Knowing biomechanics is very important, um, but I think that the, the the way that it's being demonstrated, the problem, it's giving people this idea that this is how the rep is supposed to look, and people are just training like they're lazy, like they're half asleep. And I think it's very hard to undo that, you know, because you need a certain level of mental training to do this stuff. You need to have a little anger, a little bit of aggression. You know, you, you, you've, you've got to have that mental push to do these things. And that's not going to happen training lazy and slow like you're half asleep. You know, you're yeah. just not going to get that neural drive. You're not going to activate those motor units. You're not going to get that muscle completely engaged. And like you said before, with the slower reps, I, I like slower reps. But the, the thing with the slower reps is 
because you're not creating enough tension, you've got to go to absolute failure to get the muscle fibers involved that have the, have the highest affinity for growth. So if you're doing slower reps like Elos does with the slow negative and then the slow positive, those are great. Those work. But you've got to go to absolute failure with them or they won't do I shit. I put those under – I was going to say, I put those like those types of things under like the intensifiers. Like, like right now we're talking about basic rep mechanics, basic, how you perform the rep. But I put like those, like, cause sometimes for example, we'll do something where like, I won't call it a finisher cause I don't really like that term, but like, well, maybe on like, the, we'll do a top set of something. And then the second set, instead of just doing a straight back off set, we'll lower the weight 30% or whatever. And we will do something like six reps with a five second concentric into six reps with a five second eccentric into as many reps as you can possibly get to failure after that. And like you do that on a hack squat, you do that on an incline, uh, uh, Smith press, like everything is shaken in your bot. Like your intensity level has gone beyond a 10. It's at a 12 at that point. And it seems easy when you say it out loud until you do it. And you're doing those, you're having someone count for you. One, two, <laughs> three, four, five. And, and, and it brings up my next point about having a training partner. And, and you mentioned Phil about having your clients reach out to the biggest badass in the gym and, and have him put yeah. you through the works. But I think you got to have a competent training partner that has the same goals as you do. If you have a guy that's training with oh, that's you, that's amazing. like, you know, yeah, he's he's a little over the you know over the hill in terms of, of training. He's not in the same zone as a bodybuilder the way you are. It's not going to be an equal relationship. I think you got to mm -hmm. have someone that's still in the hunt that still wants to get better that still wants yeah like Scott says you want to find a training partner who wants to make you his his bitch on a reg, a daily basis. Oh yeah, and that's the right. Competitive you know? nature of having a training partner is insane. Right. Yeah. The word true. It's very simple. It's only four letters, but. It's got a vast meaning. It's about legitimacy. This has to be the real deal. My whole philosophy and everything in life is progression. If I'm not progressing, I am frustrated. You know, back in the 90s, I was known as the guy who put muscle mass on people who were stuck. There were things happening in the industry that weren't good. And in April of 2003, Doug and I started True Nutrition. We put the money into the jug, into the bag. That's where the money goes. We're in lab coats, we're in the back, we're manufacturing this stuff. So if it's not worthy enough for me, it's not worthy enough for my business partner, it's not worthy for you. Whether you're a bodybuilder, a triathlete, whoever you are, whatever your goal is, it is customized to you. I developed my reputation as a no BS kind of guy. I'm Dante Trudeau, half owner of True Nutrition. Yep. Uh, let's talk so, about um because I know me and Skip are going to differ on this a little bit, and and and, I, and and Scott as well. And I want to know where you stand on this, Phil. In terms of opening for chest training, I'm not a fan of doing anything that overly stretches you out. Meaning like any type of fly movement, whether it's cables or machines. And I know that Skip and Scott feel a little bit more comfortable opening with something like that. I like to open with usually with dumbbells or a machine, so I can kind of maybe limit my mo movement in terms of the stretch uh, stretch pattern and and really to decide figure out where my strengths at are my joints feeling good and work up to my top sets that way how do you feel about that well we, we could go two ways with that because even though science is going to say one thing 
you can make an argument for the other side. And the science isn't factual. It's just theory. It's just what we think. It's what we have so far as information provided. So we know that putting the muscle on too much of a stretch is going to weaken the integrity of the muscle and compromise your strength, specifically with static stretching. But dynamic stretching can do it to an extent too if you go too far. So like a deep fly, I feel is absolutely going to weaken your chest. However, if you have mobility issues, if you have blood flow issues, um, you know, and things like that, mechanical issues, then maybe opening it up more is good. For example, depends on what you're going to do. Um, I always have my guys, for example, press about an inch or two off their chest, but during their warm-up sets, I have them going all the way down because what that right. does is it increases your active range and prevents injury, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're too tight and you don't open it up and then you go deep on a rep, you tear your, you tear your pack, you know? Yeah. So there's a safety aspect to it. There's an effectiveness aspect to it. I think there's a sweet spot in the middle, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think, too, when I go with these, uh, op I call them openers for so that we all understand, you know, what we're talking about. I don't know if I like the label either, but nonetheless, we all know what it means. Yeah. And I'm I'm more of a, you know, pec deck cable fly type thing. But my openers also are very light. And I I'll, obviously I'll build, build into the intensity, but they're very light. And when I say very light, I'm talking three, four, five warm-up sets before I'm counting anything. And I do mm -hmm. use, I don't want to say an exaggerated range of motion, but I want, much like Phil was saying, I want more range of motion in the first exercise to make sure that there is a, um, there's, there, that any other exercise is the best way I can explain this. Any other exercise afterwards, it's going to be heavy. Call it a, a growth stuff, you know, type uh, exercise is not going to be in that range of motion. So there is an exaggerated range of motion relative to my heavier compound exercises that come after an opener. Higher reps, far more deliberate, and they're not typically to 100%. They're 90-95. You might leave a rep or two in, in the tank. It's all about mechanics and activation. I think you use that word a lot, Phil, where yeah, a lot of you, people... I was, was going to say it when you were done talking. Yep. And I think it's a great... And here's the other thing. Remember, I'm in a different demographic. I'm the old head of the group. So I'm... As much as I still want to train with intensity and train my ass off, I'm taking extra precautions to limit the vulnerabilities so that when I do get to the heavier compound stuff, my chest and my pec tendons and everything else, they're warm and they're ready to go. Really, the only thing I'm warming up when I get to dumbbell presses or maybe even a bench press are my elbows because my chest and everything yes. is in front delts and stuff. But the, but the point being is there's a lot of blood in there already. There's a much less, there's much less of a likelihood that there's going to be an injury at that point when I open with those lighter, more activation, high rep, very controlled movements. You know, where I differ from yeah, you no. a little bit there, Skip, is that I don't really go for the big stretch um, with, with that warm up exercise for me. It's been more about, you remember I was saying like with my shoulders that they were so dominant. And then, you know, after my first contest, I had a local coach and he was like, we're going to pre-fatigue, you know? So, and I trained with him. I learned a lot, you know, that year because he was a guy who had been in the gym for like years longer than me. And, um, you know, we, we started with the pec deck and I found that once I did the pec deck, I had more blood in my chest. And then when I pressed, I was like, okay. I feel it where I'm supposed to be. You know what I'm saying? So for me, it's been something of a, 
like a pre a pre fatigue almost, or you know, to help me get that mind muscle connection that I want. And then I know uh, you know Scott's with us. He had said we had done an episode of Muscle Minds once, and he said there you know we looked at some studies that he believes showed that there is benefit possibly to you know that that you you know that the you're gonna still you're gonna get that activation out of the chest. It may be beneficial for growth, and for me at least for that year. It really was. I don't, and I, I want to say too, Andrew, it's not something I like, I subscribe to all the time, but it will be something mm-hmm. I use, but I don't want to overdo the stretch myself. I try to just mm-hmm. keep the, you know, basically pumping the blood into the pack is my, whole when mind. I say I'm exaggerating it though, I mean, primarily, here's an example. I remember I said the warm up sets, yeah. I'm it, yeah. more exaggerated, lighter. And as I get into my working sets, then it's not as much of an exaggerated ah. movement. I'm not, I think, I'm I think not, we got that. And when I, yeah, it, it's more of a stretch in that exercise than the rest of the exercises that follow. I guess that's what I'm trying to. So I'm glad gotcha. you said that because I want to clarify. I don't want anybody who's listening to come away from this going, oh, Skip said to do deep exaggerated stretches. Stretching. Yeah, no, that's not what I'm saying. It's just more of a stretch with the lighter weights to make sure that that range of motion, that I'm open and at nothing, you know, I don't feel anything. I don't have any type of pain in my shoulders or in my chest. And then as that weight goes up, then they get into a little bit more a little bit less exaggerated range of motion for the working sets yeah yeah i i I like what you guys both said and i could actually tie that together um i like to explain to listeners sometimes the the intricacies of what you guys are i know you guys know the answer to this but listeners might not know the intricacies of this but like skip said with the activation it's very very important and like scott said with the deep with it with the flies typically wider guys like me if i start with a press my chest doesn't fire i can't it just doesn't happen Hmm. i have to do some form of a fly to get my chest firing in order to make it effective so that helps another thing that you said is to get blood flowing well the more fluid we bring into the muscle we create more leverage make the muscle stronger the muscle can lift more weight we're going to get more stimulus translate to more muscle growth so it's crazy that a lot of people will start their first exercise without a pump like you've got you don't want an extreme pump because that can compromise your strength but you want a mild pump it makes you stronger increases the integrity of everything that's connected and everything that's working and now you've got everything firing and now you're primed and ready to go so the setup for your workout is very yes. important. I feel like a lot of people miss that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I think too, you make a good point about the activation and I want to <laughs> piggyback off of that real quick. It's not just activation of the target muscle group. It's also activation equally left to right for the stabilizers. So if Unless you're going to brain. come in and bench and, and your lats and the muscles in your back that are going to help to stabilize and counter your pecs, contracting essentially or help to bring you know pulling down the negative rear delts everything they all need to be activated equally too because if you don't then you get into this left right battle where you're trying one one side may not be firing more than the other and you're also going to have based on and i don't want to get away from chess but i think this is a good point and i'll use myself as an example i have a really hard time getting my left lat to activate prior to back sometimes it'll be three warm-up sets and i'm good on that particular day sometimes it'll be eight because i'm it's just not activating equally until and then i know when it's time to go and then i can go otherwise it feels like everything is all over the place 
Well, that's a phenomenal point to make sure. And I, I make sure I, I, I teach this to my guys as well. It's important that you do enough warm-up sets to potentiate and get the muscle firing. And don't don't be afraid to do more sets. If you start that your working sets before it's actually firing, you're not going to get the best set that you could possibly get the most weight and the reps with the best form. So if you do three, sometimes, listen, I've gone through, I've had days where I've come into squat and my mobility felt like shit and things weren't firing. I did 135 for like 10 sets of six. Yeah. Just like, so you didn't fatigue it, but enough to make it fire. And like you said, with the, with back as well and all the supporting muscles, I actually coincidentally, any day that I'm going to press heavy, I do a couple sets of rows to pump yep, my back up and get there and fire yep. and a couple of sets of pull downs. And on the same thing with squatting, I do a couple of sets of hip thrusts for my, for my glutes. I've heard well, other people say this. that about doing well, some let me ask pull you downs. This. I've heard that. I've never done it. Well, well, do you guys do like a, like a general full upper body pump? Not, a, not a pump workout, but like a, like for instance, after I get my shoulders warmed up with my PT exercises, I got to do, I literally go through the gamut and I get on like the Cybex machines or whatever. And I'll do like a light, light set of like 15 on the shoulder press. And then I'll do like some rear delts and then I'll do some lat pull downs and I'll do the row. Like me and my training partner, you would think we're doing like some circuit training class before we actually do our, our real training for those mm-hmm. body parts. And the same thing, like you said, Phil, with the legs, like if you saw my leg workout, you'd be like, that, you, you're in here for 35 minutes minutes already and you haven't done anything substantial yet and it's like yeah i'm, I'm, I'm 39 years <laughs> old yeah, we're, we're, we're all we're all 39 40 whatever you know skip 60 but like we're all that old and, <laughs> and we need to we need to take our time because and it's not just that we're old and that our joints suck it's that we've also learned that to activate the muscle properly we need to get the other muscle groups firing too yeah, yep. yeah. so i gotta ask Some them but so we getting into you know the, the the like the big heavy compound stuff then for chest just out of curiosity what are your go-tos like what feel really good for you for chest pressing what do you enjoy i know what he's gonna say he knows exactly what i'm saying it's gonna be a decline or a dip okay really <laughs> the reason well the reason is is because that's the direction that most of our pec fibers travel Okay. Especially the thickest parts of our chest is on a is downward, and if you and all of the, the the studies will register that a decline is the most effective. Now it doesn't mean an extreme decline. You know, just like right. what Skip said with the incline. Well, Dorian Yates actually used to put a forty five under the front part of the incline to make it a lower incline. And on the same mm-hmm. note, a decline for chest could just be putting a forty five under the front of the thing, and that's it. Huh. You know. So now if I do like a Smith press, I will put a plate under the front of the seat if i'm doing a machine i just take my ass and slide it off the seat two inches forward and i'm good to go so yeah decline almost uh, it's almost always a decline for chest my bread and butter i know a lot of people like to start with incline but i don't really like to start with incline because i can't activate my chest very well so if i don't get one good hard lift out and get my chest firing if i start with incline it's all shoulders my shoulders will be. What in were we talking pain. about, Andrew? Yeah. What were we talking mm-hmm. about prior? I said we need to talk about exercise sequence because I mm-hmm. cannot hit incline until at least minimum second exercise, and rarely is it second. It has to be third because otherwise mm-hmm. it's just killing my front delts. And so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear you say that. The, the points about the decline are they're just 
they're gold. I'm going to have to start following you again, Phil. You know I don't follow you. <laughs> and I don't follow you because you get trolled all the time. And I don't. I feel like I'm going to be pulled in. And I don't want to have to spend half my day defending you. So I, I pulled away a little bit. That's, that's gold. That is just fucking, that's just really, really Never. solid information. Whenever you're controversial and speak your opinion and say what everybody else is thinking, there's going to be people that are going to attack you. But I can actually I'm tell sure. a funny story now about about how I brought my chest up. Um, actually, Skip, when I worked with you, when you when you first got me, um, I doubt you remember 20 years ago. But I was all I looked like a monkey. I was all front delt. I, I literally <laughs> looked like a gorilla. Like my front delt was popping off my chest. It was because, and I was, until I was about 24, 25 years old, I was doing 360, and now me with the stupid mindset that I had, the extremist mindset that I had, I used to do incline barbell with 365. I used to lower it to my Adam's apple because I felt a better stretch. Of course, right? Wow. <laughs> I, used, I used to rip out 365. I had no God. chest. So now what happened was I went, I went to the beach with a friend one day and then got sunburned and we came to the gym to do chest and guess what? I got fucking hurt. And I'm like right at the beginning of contest prep. So now I have no choice. So now there's this Cybex converging press that was at the uh, Gold's Gym by me. So now I'm screwed. So I'm like, fuck, my chest is going to suck. This is all going to suck. So I have to lighten the weight, shorten my range of motion, go slow, squeeze. Guess what? My fucking chest broke. Mm -hmm. Finally, with with not even half the weight that I was previously yeah. pressing, not even close to half the weight I was pressing, and my chest grew for the first time. And I just basically that was my first real lesson: like, holy shit, you were lifting like an asshole this whole time. Well, it's part of it is because trainer. you were taught you were taught yeah. to do the hard stuff and the incline press. Every gym you go to, no matter who your coach is, if you're you got a coach in the eighties, nineties, two thousands, or you know, two thousand tens. They they programmed in some level of high incline press, and I'm and I'm happy to say I've seen a lot less of that. We're seeing like put a 45 pound plate underneath the uh, the, the 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 bench, or you know 30 percent incline max instead of this other stuff. But I want to talk about uh, real quick. I've had I've started going to this new gym down here in Florida, and you guys are familiar with that company Alibaba, right? Yeah, like online, right? The yeah, 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 the online yeah. company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's essentially they, so the they overseas got a, Amazon. <laughs> it's the overseas well, Amazon yeah, every, for Indians and Chinese. there for sixty bucks. Listen, well, listen. <laughs> so they've gotten into the, the into the fitness manufacturing industry, and oh, they they basically done knockoffs of some pretty good pieces, like like this Nautilus chest press. They they do Ooh. a knockoff of it. I have never felt my chest light up with the, the the first exercise with just a plate on each side like I do with that thing. And you better believe we are using that almost every time we train chest lately. And just, I, I just can't say enough about it. And it's kind of to your point because I don't get anything, anything at all out of incline pressing, in, incline barbell pressing. Straight bar pressing, I feel it all front delts. I feel it. I feel it where I shouldn't feel it. I feel like I'm going to get hurt every time I do it. So I've I, about four or five years ago, I just said, I'm not ever doing this again. It doesn't make sense. I'll do some Smith pressing. I, I, I do think you can set the Smith up the right way, but the regular barbell stuff, not happening for me. Well, if you think of the nature of a, of a, bar, of a barbell press, um, it's already setting us up for failure because of hand position. So what happens yeah. with a lot of people, we see this with a lot of pros that have good body parts. They figure things out instinctually. They press with a false grip, right? Without the thumb. Mm -hmm. Because the second you put mm -hmm. your thumb on the bar, you've got to rotate your elbow up and out. That puts the front delt on stretch. That, puts the, that, that activates the front delt right away. Yeah. And with an incline, your, your hands and your elbows have to start lower than they end. They have to they have to end up going higher 
uh, like almost like an arc, not like a straight line, in order to activate mm-hmm. the upper chest fibers. So if your elbows are already out, then you're like way the f- exaggerating, but you're way the f- out here, and it's hitting all front delt. You need to be able to drop those elbows down and drive up. So I like actually, it's funny. I showed this exercise on my social media recently. Um, I do my incline on a shoulder press, specifically the selectorized hammer strength shoulder press. So what I do is I slide my ass to the edge of the seat. I just put my traps back against the bench and I squeeze up like this. And I always make sure that I keep my chest out in front of my delts. That's very important Mm -hmm. for leverage from the rib cage and to make sure that the chest is the dominant muscle and make sure it's firing is people don't keep their chest up enough. So I always tell my guys that if you're incline pressing, if your chin can't touch your chest, you're out of position. I want to touch on that because here's a problem. Here's a mistake that I made for years, for years. And I only spotted it maybe two years ago in a, and I watched one of my chest training videos and then I watched another one and saw I was doing it over and over again. Whether it's a flat dumbbell, whether it's a, a, a flat machine press, whether it's an, a flat chest, whatever, any type of press, I would go like this. If you guys can see, I'm tucking my chin down, right? So now I'm falsely thinking I'm completing the rep by getting my, when my pecs touch my chin. For some mm. reason, it's a, it's, a, it's a security blanket. It makes me feel good to tuck. Not only is it bad for your neck, right? Because yeah. I had a lot of neck issues now because of that. But you're also limiting yourself. If you keep your chest up or your chin up, and you can you try to get your chest up as high as your chin is where it's at now. For the people that are listening, I'm I'm I'm, I'm tilting my head back. You're forcing yourself to get more of a range of motion. You're you're forcing yourself to recruit that more muscle like fibers that you wouldn't have otherwise. But say again. Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds like a great cue, and it, it makes a lot of sense. Like these are all just cues, and one thing that everybody misses in this uh, in this sport is the fact that you're not going to perform everything like the other guy that got him to work for him. Even when people would yeah. lift with me, I would say I can give you the general premise of what to do and an idea of range of motion and hand, but you ultimately have to play with it in order to get. It's a work for you. Like my training partner when I was younger was six foot six, 320 pounds. <laughs> so again, like that competitive thing, I was always chasing his strength because he was a monster. But he only lowered the bar halfway on pressing. But he had long, really long arms. But the bar was probably eight inches off his chest. But he had a way better chest mm-hmm. than I did. And it was because he was able to lock in and complete everything. But if he were to bring it deeper and try to copy me, it might not have been that good. So you've always yeah. got to add a, a level of individuality to this. You know, what works for you? Well, you to dig into too. the minutia, we could probably go on and on. I just, I, I want to throw one more. If we're to dig into the minutia, even the width of the bench plays into oh, oh, for sure. mechanics as well. For sure. uh, it would be nice. I always think to myself, I wish I would have had the foresight or the money, quite frankly, or maybe the business acumen, but whatever, um, to to be able to manufacture equipment, especially after using equipment for so many years, because there's little minor things that I think to myself, how did they fuck this up? It's so minor. How did they, did they not use it? So, Even as high as Panetta. I, I don't want to, it's great equipment, but there've been a couple things where, you know, you have a standing calf press as an example that can be used as a, a standing shoulder press too. Yet the neutral grip, won't allow you to press without the handle digging in. It's a half inch. All it had to do was move it a half inch, those little things. And what I what I always think when I go to bench, doesn't matter where I'm at, like why didn't they make a round, I'm going to hold up my hand here, a round, thick bench 
to you know what's actually the funny. dumbbell presses and flies on. Yeah. Huh. That was huh. rounded I, I on saw, the sides instead of I, water. I saw a bench once at Strong and Shapely Gym in East Rutherford, New Jersey, North Jersey, when I was very young. And I was looking at it, staring at it. And I couldn't figure it out. I've never seen it in any other gym, even even up to this day. And what happened was there was a square pad on top of the flat bench in the middle of it. And I'm like, what the fuck? Why would that be there? That's so annoying. Like, what the fuck is the purpose of this? And then one of the older guys, he goes, go to press. I'm like, how the fuck am I going to do He's like, lay on top of it. Okay. As soon as I laid on top of it, that thing went in my lower back pushed me out and put and popped oh, yeah. my chest out. It yeah, forced sure. me into position. And I was like, mm-hmm. holy shit, that's a fucking good idea. You know? Rillo did that to with do that. With the arches. Did he? Arc. Do you guys say arc or arch? What's what's correct? I should know this. Arc or arch? I have no idea. Anyway, I barely speak English. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. The Perillo, the rounded benches. You know, years ago, he at least had the foresight to go, you know what? I'm going to round this out so that some people just don't have a choice. They have to kick their, they have to kick their uh, chest a little bit higher. I mean, it's not like people don't know what they're doing with the equipment. It's just that sometimes you come across, I think what it is is we have trained for so long and we find those minor little things that we wish we had more control over with the equipment and we don't, we have to make it work. I, yeah. One the, of the things uh, that I hate most I was going to say, what's the dumbbell scoop fly that Scott Scott Stevenson just mentioned? Do you have you ever tried it? He said he has a YouTube video demo. Do you guys know what he's talking about? I don't. Uh, I think he means for, I think he means for lower packs. I think he means raising a dumbbell scoop fly. Is it, like are this. you using a grip like a false grip or are you using a false grip with dumbbells? It's, maybe no, it, it's it's a normal grip. It's like it's almost like an underhand straight on like straight like. I mean, you're literally here and then you're raising it. Here oh, okay. from underneath, he will yeah. do like the low, the low cable flies like that, yeah, and it's very idea. odd. Mm-hmm. Because the direction of pull would 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 indicate upper chest, but you end up getting a better lower chest contraction. So it's one of those weird things. I can't really explain it or work it out, but you know, it it. Oh, here we go. It, it's a great exercise. This is yeah, a low so incline I, I, cross cable scoop fly. I'm not sure if this is what he's talking about because he said dumbbells, didn't he? I know, I know what he's going to do. No, I, I think I said dumbbells. Oh no, he did. Oh, okay. He did say dumbbell. But Scott, is this? Well, you, you, this you Scott? Scott. Okay. Looking all jacked there in the short shorts, Scott, in the Fortitude training shirt. Yeah. Yeah. See how he's starting oh, okay. low. Right. Oh wait, is he doing a circle? Yeah. Um, it's more of an arc. Oh wait, no! He, I think he is doing a circle. Yeah. Oh, you're right. He is yeah, doing a circle. He is. Yeah. I mean, got a little jam it, it, going on. If, yeah. if, <laughs> if I were to work it out, I would say that he's trying to distribute stress across all the fibers. Um, I, I, I honestly am not too sure of it to be to be honest. Yeah, I'd that's love to wild. Hear an I'm gonna try these. That's wild. I'm gonna try these on Friday. Looks like he's doing a muscle round on it too. Okay, I see now. Okay, he's coming. Yeah, I see what he's doing. I, I actually, and I haven't, I haven't done anything like this, but I thought he was coming up the same, like the the hands were traveling same way he's the coming same down. path coming back up. Yeah, and I'm thinking, man, my front delts to be gone after three three reps. Yeah, but he's not. He's kicking them out and, and bringing them up. I see yeah. what he's doing, and then bringing it down. This looks well. interesting. Yeah. I know better than to question Scott because he's always going to throw something. <laughs> well, at that's me. a good point. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> and and that you didn't know. Like even I texted him today and he threw something at me that I fucking didn't know. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. I mean, you just opened up a can of worms because now you just opened up this whole thought process. And he always finds it funny, you know, but when he says something, I'm 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 if I don't agree, I'm immediately thinking, where did I go wrong? <laughs> Well, I think there's certain people that when they say something, they, they've earned that kind of clout in this industry that you're like, okay, even if you thought differently and you were very set in your ways, you hear it and you're like, okay, I'm really got to spend some time exploring their their line of thinking here because I'm not necessarily That's right in my thinking. We, we both might be right, but I need to find out how he's right because he's got this level of clout and this level of expertise that um, that, that warrants that, you know? Yeah. yeah just reverence versus deference. Exactly. I'm just proud of myself after 20 years I could have a conversation with him without opening up Google. <laughs> I'm sure you guys are yeah. do that. Well, you're, no, you're, you're doing better than me. You're doing better than me then. So bringing us back full circle to the topic, um, is there anything else that we should add to this? You know, what, Anything else well, to, that we want to throw into this conversation? Well, are there anything, are there any exercises that we would absolutely disclude at this point, you know, whether it's because you're training age or or you just think they're ineffective. Are there anything that we don't allow my done? clients to flat bench? I don't yeah. allow my clients to flat going. bench. None of them yeah. Yeah. absolutely not. There's it's ninety nine point nine percent of the pec tears. Yep. Um and see the problem is not not really the, the the movement itself. It's the way the movement is executed. Because like I said, because of the anatomical structure of everything and the way you have to rotate your hand to actually get a thumbs on grip on the bar, it pushes your elbows out. And not only that, mm -hmm. we have a natural inclination to try to do whatever is easier mechanically to accomplish a goal. So we could have our elbows slightly below our shoulders, elbows down, pressing like this. And the second it gets hard, what do we do? Those elbows flare. If you guys go on YouTube right now, everybody watching this, you guys can go on YouTube right now and look up videos of people pec that got, had pec tears. Watch their elbows. 90% of the time, you're going to watch those elbows creep up, and that's when it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah but there's also – I don't disagree with that, but there's also almost always – way more weight than they need to be moving to. I mean, as, you know, and I'm, I'm with you with the bench. I, I will still use it. I don't use it frequently, but if I use it, it's to close with because at that point, I just feel like I'm bringing in my lats. I'm bringing in my tries. I'm bringing in my shoulders and I'm just trying to pound and still have to control uh, as far as stabilize at the end. And of course the poundages are incredibly limited and so are the reps usually. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the alternative is, which I think most people do is if you're going to finish and you're, you're borderline fried, you're usually going with a machine and then you don't have to deal as much with stabilizing. And you know what? I'm not an anti-machine. I'm not anti-free weight. They both play their part, but I would rather finish with something that I have to stabilize with hmm. and dumbbell presses. I don't hmm. know about you guys, but I'm going to get four reps. I don't care if they're fifties. So this is, just, there this just is isn't much. Is actually, this is actually really funny that you brought that up because again, you touched on something that I uniquely do that I don't necessarily program. And I'm going to take it one step further from you. I don't do a flat barbell press. What I like to finish my chest with is either BOSU ball push-ups or I'll get a body bar. I'll line one up straight. 
I'll grab the other bar, put it on top of it like a cross. Then you really got to stabilize so you don't fall over. Yeah. And I do push-ups on it. And that's how I finish my chest nice. workout because, like you said, you're so fatigued at that point. If you try to do anything even remotely heavy, you're just not going to connect. You're going to hit everything else. Right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. by forcing that stabilization, you're making sure that you're not going to overdo the weight and that you really will be able to intensely focus on finishing off the muscle. Scott added too. He said, "I think nearly every case study in the literature documenting the pec tear with resistance training cites the flat bench." So, I'm going to go a step further and say we don't need Doctor Scott on this one because, like you said, you go on YouTube or yeah. even I'll give you in my gym in Vermont. One of my training partners in Vermont sent me a video just the other day of a kid putting five plates on the bench. He was spotting him, and someone was videotaping first rep too heavy. Boom, pec tear, done. And the kid was messaging me, what do I do about this? And, mm. you know, can I just put a little BPC in? I'm like, dude, you need to go see a surgeon, like ASAP. Like, that looks like a tendon. Yeah. That looks like you ruptured the tendon. Mm. It looks like you're done training chest for a good year now. Um, yeah. But, yeah. You know what I like? I, you I, know what I like in the home gym? Because I'm kind of limited. I like that idea, by the way, uh, Phil, with the BOSU ball. I could see doing that in the home gym. I'll I'll do the same as you were saying, Skip, like using a barbell at the end where I'm not going to be really doing crazy weight. And I picked up one of those elite FTS shoulder saver pads. So it's like this big around and goes around the bar. So it kind of stops you short. And I can literally just bring the bar down, rest it on my chest. And then I'll basically do like um, almost like a dead stop. So I start from the bottom, push up, you know, hard squeeze at the top, slow negative, bring it back down. I could do that with like one plate on the bar. And at the end of a workout, you know what I mean? With that kind mm-hmm. of control, it's, it's, I guess I'll use the term Andrew doesn't like, which I kind of agree with, a finisher, you know? <laughs> how, 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 how complex do you guys want to get? Because I apply things like this to clients who have weaker body parts that won't come up. Because a lot of times what I find is that people with very strong body parts, they connect like hell. Sure. Um, I remember when I was. Sure. I remember when I was training Rami. When I was training Rami uh, in Connecticut for a couple of days, he was starting with one plate on Smith incline. And he's grimacing. I'm like, <laughs> you feel that? Like he's like, yeah. Like I put him on hack squat, one plate. By the fifth rep, he's making faces. And even though he's strong enough to do really heavy weight, yeah, every muscle group he had connected like the muscle was on fire and you guys can mm-hmm. all connect that like my shoulders always grew really well and when i start training shoulders i can light them on fire sure. my arms never grew and i can't feel shit <laughs> so what happens is i will do connectivity work that kind of um is like repetitively reinforcing the electrical impulse signals and recruiting the motor units and everything to try to train that muscle to fire better so i do this most often with hamstrings because people don't have good hamstrings typically so i'll have them three to four days a week and their workout with three sets of 25. Hmm. No, not to do damage and nowhere near failure, just to get the muscle firing. And you guys yeah. can even test these theories out. Like if you train, plan to train quads in two days, go to the gym and do three sets of 15 light, but get your quads to fire. Yeah. You come back two days later, start, they're going to just light up right away. Dude. So I feel like you increase the connectivity and that's usually one of the problems. I've almost, I'm right there with you. And the way, like the thing I've called it to myself, I call it like physical therapy, almost like training that muscle just to work. No, that, no, that, that's exactly what physical therapy is. You know, working on this thing. Yeah. You're, no, you're a thousand percent right. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. I've had to do the same and, thing. And you're not going to be able to do that with heavy exercises. Yeah. 
Yeah, especially for, like you said, and especially if you have a strong muscle group, and that goes for every part of our bodies. You take a guy who has terrible shoulders, and guess what? He he might have really good traps. You see those guys, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or yes, yes. the guy that has you know the really great shoulders, but then he doesn't have the chest. It's like there's there's always that if you have a strong muscle group, there's a good chance you're going to have a weak one you know, right next to it, right? And I think that a Pretty lot much. of times we don't do that enough with programming <clears throat> is we don't think out what muscle group is keeping the next one from growing. Yes. You know, so like, you know, a, a, lot, a lot of times, you know, people might have drifted towards one exercise or another that causes a certain muscle group to be very, very dominant. And then, like I said, the body's natural inclination is to do things in the easiest way possible. So it's always going to try to bring that stronger muscle group in and dominate the movement. So sometimes we have to, either consciously do this or put fail safes in you know like if somebody's a really big front delt presser yeah. put them on decline and dip you're you can't use your front delts you've no chat you have no shot yeah. at using your front delts yeah you know and uh, uh one thing that i wanted to get back to the chest training with is one point that i wanted to make i wanted to make sure we didn't miss it because it's a big one that i find with a lot of people i find people become limited on their top end strength because of a weak link in the chain. So Absolutely. for me and for, and for a lot of other people, the triceps are that weak link. And your chest right. can't pick up the slack for your triceps, you know, not to any significant extent. So a lot of times what happens is I will focus on their tricep strength for a period of time. And when I send them back to pressing, their pressing shoots up and their chest blows up. It's a good point. All right, well, we are out of time for this episode, guys. We appreciate everybody tuning in. And, Phil, man, we appreciate you hanging out with us. This has been awesome. I love hanging out with you guys. And, uh, listen, if people want to reach out to you, if people want to you know, follow you on social media or people want to hire you for coaching, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, well, my uh, my Instagram is uh, phil.viz, V-I-Z. And uh, I actually just dropped a contest prep class that I've been teaching for about a year now. Um, I haven't taught it in a year. I haven't taught it since last, I think, May. Um, but I had a lot of demand for it. Um, so I, I just dropped that. So if anybody's interested in taking an extensive uh, contest prep class, it's a 52-page PowerPoint. It's two days, three and a half hours a piece, and a question and answer at the end. Um, and you guys know I can fucking talk. <laughs> so... Drink some coffee, make sure you're awake. Because the, the first time I did the class, I didn't know it was going to be two days. It was seven hours straight that I taught, straight wow, out of my head. Yeah. And at the end, at the end, everybody was like, all right, we can't do that again. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> well, listen, guys, if, if you don't know who Phil is, I'm going to tell you right now. I mean, I know a lot of you do, but if you don't, I've been learning from Phil since forever, like early, I'd say 2010-ish, maybe something like that. I've heard you talking since back then. You've been educating people for a long time. This is a guy who knows what he's talking about, so we're lucky to have him here. If you guys want to reach out to Andrew, go to bodyberry.com. You can hit him up over there. Of course, you can go to teamskip.com. Reach out to Skip over there. McNallyDiets at gmail.com to hit me up. And, of course, check out our sponsors, truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK, supplementsource.ca for our Canadians. And, of course, thank you to everybody from Patreon. You guys are making this thing happen, especially with Phil in the in the F-bombs. We, we, we know that YouTube isn't going to like this one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that.